Not so much the neutral zone, a Star Trek podcast by ladies where we talk about Star Trek at great length, often very loudly. I am your host, Corrine, and I'm here joined by my fellow co-hosts, Kim. Hello. And Ari. Hello. And today is our 11th episode, but the 10th episode of Star Trek in the airing order. Yes. Yes. God damn you the cage. I know. Yeah, it, it screwed up everything. everything. It messes up every single thing. And speaking of messing up, as a heads up, I'm going to say this episode's title incorrectly every single time. Yeah? You can't mm-hmm. do Corbinite? I want to call it Carbonite. At least it's still in, like, the science fiction. Well, no. Hey, it, I know it's you're like really one ex- letter away. Crane's really excited about Star Wars. I'm really excited about Star Wars. So it's allowable. It's so close, I can practically taste it. We're definitely going to keep correcting her, though. Yeah, so the episode that we are talking about today is the Corbomite. Thank you. <clears throat> the Corbomite Maneuver. Mm-hmm. And I am going to stop everything, throw down my pen and my gauntlet, and say this is one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek of all time. Really? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. It's good. It's I one love of my this episode. This episode combines everything that I love about Star Trek, and I'm thinking Kim could already guess what I'm going to say. Kirk being a captain, captain. Yeah. what is a captain, what is it to be a captain of a ship, there is a logic puzzle, yeah. and there is a problem that needs to be solved, mm-hmm. and everyone is chummy. Yes. And smart. And smart. There's not... Except for that one asshole. Oh, freaking Bailey, man. Yeah. What was but his mostly. problem? Uh, space blues. Mm. Space blues. I think we should all, actually, at the end of the episode, do our own dramatic reenactment of his like mental breakdown on the bridge of the ship (laughs) agreed oh my god i'll give it a try agreed um i did not hate this okay it was we'll we'll start from there yes my favorite episode oh i didn't hate it (laughs) well it's again it was it's the same as the um, episode we watched last time um the dagger Dagger of the Mind. mind it was pretty good yeah. I'm sorry, it was pretty good. I yeah. definitely ranked this one several notches above Dagger with Mind, even though I, I do like Dagger with Mind and I think it's a good episode, but this one is, everyone is so solid and so smart and so professional, except for the one asshole. <laughs> and everyone comes off looking great. Well, okay, Dagger with Mind is fine. Yeah, it's that, fine. That I would go- do like middling, mm-hmm. run of the mill, not offensive, not, you know, memorable, I would say. Mm-hmm. Dagger the Mind is fine, except for Dr. Helen Noel kicking that guy into the uh, electrical gearbox. Woo! That was great. Mm-hmm. One of my, I think, favorite Star Trek moments. <laughs> yep. Especially so as it comes out of way left field. Yeah. So far, that was awesome. Yes, but this episode has everything. This, for me, is classic, classic original Trek, and I love it. Okay. So Good. I'm going to fight you. <laughs> So strap in for what is going to be an amazing recap of an amazing episode. And I'm going to start with full props, tip of the hat, handshake, 
knowing manly glands, to Joseph Sargent, who directed this episode. And I, other than the one shot that we've discussed that happens, that was recycled in two episodes, where mm-hmm. it follows Kirk and then it, like, hits him in the shoulder as yeah. he goes into the turbo lift, often the directing in Star Trek original series is not memorable. Or it's erratic. I mean, they... they as with any television series, they go through a number of directors. And sometimes I would they make what I would say funny choices, like when they do soft light on people or the weird... The um, angles on the eyes. The angles on the eyes. The weird, sh- like, blocky shadows that show up sometimes, which I think they just kind of went, oh, s- space. Mm-hmm. Sun could be anywhere. But I think Joseph Sargent did an amazing job starting with the opening oh, crane shot. Yeah, some extreme, like top-notch model spaceship action. We go this way. We go this way. You can hear, like, a small tug going, I love model spaceship Star Trek ships. They make me really happy. So, those shots were all positive for you? I thought it was interesting, because originally this was supposed to be the first episode aired after the pilot. So, it was actually filmed first in production, but because of the special effects... And because of a network decision that they wanted to do more uh, space planet-based adventures at the beginning of the show, Mm -hmm. they tabled this until the 10th episode. Okay. Because I can definitely see, and one of the things that I wanted to talk about was the dramatic difference in production values between Dagger of the Mind and Corbinite Maneuver. Coming into this one, it was like being punched in the face with the first few episodes that we watched. It was dark. It was loud. The uniforms were terrible. And one of the things that I hated was all the crazy-ass tracking shots around the bridge and the swooping and, oh, I hated it. Okay, but Kim, put yourself in the position of you've never seen anything like this on television. You have no concept of what you're watching. You've seen the pilot and now you're settling down maybe you missed the pilot so you're settling down and you tried to get a scope of the universe and a scope of the ship and what they do is they do the little shots with a little pew pew so that you see i love those you see the ship what it looks like in space practical and then effects. it's practical effects love them. it's alone in this giant mass of stars and nothingness a tiny bottle of a ship, which is always Roddenberry's concept of everything in okay. the bottle. So yes. I like the sh- I like the shots of the ship in space. Those were great because you could see that it was all the interior weird swooping Ugh. tracking that drove no, me up no, the no, wall. No, 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 no. And so from the outside, we swoop in. What does the ship belong to? Are they humans? What makes it run? And we swoop into this overhead crane shot. So many crane shots of what the bridge looks like. And so we can conceptualize what it looks like. It's too easy for us. We know what a bridge of a starship should look like. Yeah. We have a concept. If someone told us to draw it or imagine it, we would probably have an idea of where to put everything. But they had no concept know. of what yeah. it would look like. This is, I think, a really good job of situating... From, like, if you looked at it from the point of view of someone who had no idea about this universe or what a starship looked like. Mm-hmm. Side note, when they originally designed the Enterprise, the... One of the the directions that the people designing the ship were given was that it had to be easy for a child to draw. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Question before I go on to my next rant: Have they have have, have we been to the moon yet? No. no. When, when did they go to the moon? At this point, sixty nine. 
69 within the timeline? No, 69. Was that the moon landing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, we have not been to space yet. Yeah. We have no, like, idea what a rocket ship is. We kind of had an idea of a tiny little nut that they put Yuri Gagarin in and threw him up into the air. Like, we don't know what it's going to look like. And so they do... What it'll feel like. What it'll feel like. I think that this is something that Star Trek always does very well. Well, almost always does very well. Is that they take you from wherever you are... And then they slingshot you hundreds of years into the future into a much more advanced technologically, culturally, geographically, everything, society. And they put you there and they go, okay, this is it. I'm going to give you bullet points and go. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. Like, before then, they would have had the concept of a ship, like a a ship, we'll say cruise ship or something like that, Mm -hmm. a submarine, some people, airplanes. Actually, I was thinking of Joseph Melier. The little, the rocket hitting the moon. The oh, yeah, moon. exactly. Like, yeah. how do you communicate to people what this ship is going to look like and what it's going to be? And I think it was very clever to give us these huge broad shots of people walking across and looking at the panels and touching buttons and communicating to each other. You get a very physical idea of what the inside of a spaceship looks and feels like. Yeah. And it actually looks really big. It's especially huge. In, I mean, which is really funny because later on, every time they talk about the old, like, God, what do they call it? It's Constitution class. Yeah. The original Enterprise. That they were cramped and tiny and they just packed people in like sardines. But compared to someone whose only familiarity would be like old school, like quasi sci-fi early films or the space shuttle, what they got off of the news, this place would look palatial. It looks roomy. And I think the most important part about it is that we see it from the outside first and then we go in and see what is actually running this ship, what is making it go, are humans. Yeah. It is people that are making Lots it go. Of them. And it's put out in a kind of, almost like a kind of circle, and there are different panels, and there's the helm, and then in the middle is the captain, kind of the brain of it, and there are different arms that reach out doing mm-hmm. different things. And that's something that we, knowing Star Trek very well, know that that's what a bridge looks like. That's how a bridge is organized. Mm-hmm. But it would have been completely alien to, to viewers watching it the first time. Yeah. Oh, but as a criticism of that, their view screen is tiny. It is very tiny. I have posters bigger than that (laughs) like what you've got the entire spaceship why not cut a bigger hole to look out onto just saying guys but i think that might have been actual like a projection screen they were looking probably for for practical reasons Mm -hmm. and on that bridge are women Mm -hmm. there are men there's sulu Mm -hmm. there is people of color there's people of color on that bridge all having jobs all walking with purpose also on the other, because we get shots of like other hallways and we get shots of other things throughout the ship, we get the idea that there are hundreds of people on this ship. Yeah. They are all colors. They are all shapes and sizes. There are men and women. They're all pretty slim. They're all pretty slim. But like we get an idea of variety. Yeah. Um. So what they are doing? Kirk is not on the bridge right now, which I thought was very mm-hmm. interesting. Yes. Yeah. I was gonna say that that was one of the things that I noticed is that this is the first time we've opened an episode without Kirk being mm-hmm. in part of the action. Nope. Yeah. No? No. We've started other episodes with Spock running the show. Have we? Yes. Oh. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. For me, like, I under- I, I get what you're saying about all the swooping camera angles and situating the universe, but I didn't like... I just didn't like it. It drove me... It was, I found it distracting, and it bothered me. I, I think it's sort of like in a lot of um, genre movies and TV shows where the establishing shot is you, like, helicopter shotting over an alien city or a fantasy setting city just sort of like this is where we are and this is what it looks like but you're inside like a bottle with a bunch of little compartments so this is the version of that that you can do in a spaceship yeah i think it's just important to think about it in the context of television Mm -hmm. um 
But it is in they're doing star maps, which sounds like the most boring job of all time. They're they are, taking they are taking of pictures of space. And Bailey is bored. And Bailey who Bailey's an idiot. What is Bailey's job? Uh, he's a helmsman? helmsman. He is a helmsman. He's addressed as a helmsman at least twice. So let's just Is that. he the pilot? That's I, uh, that was the thing is I don't think there at this point there's a distinction between yeah. the two guys what if they have different jobs sitting at the front of the ship. Because usually when there are pilot specific things like it's explicitly acknowledged that someone is flying the ship. Usually it's Sulu. Well, no, because he Bailey controls the phasers, does he not? He was supposed to at that point. He was yeah. supposed to be controlling the phasers, but he also charts the course, which implies that he's the pilot. Sulu is also a helmsman. Well, helmsman is someone who like drives the ship. Yeah, but he's not pilot. Is well, he, he does piloting? Like, well, yeah. somebody who is charting the course would be a navigator, yeah. okay. not necessarily the pilot. But so later on, Bailey is the navigator. Sulu is the pilot. Bailey seems to be like running ops, kind of like on the instruments, because Spock keeps telling him to take pictures, and he's the one hitting the button, <laughs> hitting the one button, yeah, the <laughs> one button, the camera button. It's the red one. Oh god. Um, but yeah, I, later on, it's sort of like you get the idea that the people at Con, like the two helmsmen, are supposed to be able to take over for each other. As we see them do. Yeah. No, it's not so much that they take over for each other. It's that Sulu's like, dude, you're not doing your job. I'm going to push your buttons <laughs> for you. That happens a lot with Bailey because Bailey keeps getting distracted and he's whining and he's complaining and everyone keeps having to correct him. He's a terrible Starfleet officer. My favorite part about this is that on top of the helm there is a giant... <laughs> giant button I'm gonna say the red one the red one mm-hmm. well no it's white to start with but when something's in front of them it flashes red we've seen that before that's come up a couple of times yes. in previous it's in a bunch of different mm-hmm. ways too this is to let them know that there is an object in front of them mm-hmm. and they can't see it they cannot see it and so Spock says to take evasive news I've always wondered and will continue to wonder for the rest of my life why is that an order? Couldn't you just take initiative and not bump into the object? I think you're not allowed to change course without permission. Because you also have to log every course change. And I imagine that if you're comparing this to, like, less advanced, like, ships, as opposed to, like, highly automated... I'm going to say the Titanic. Spaceships. If the guy... Yeah, but saying driving the Titanic is not something that you can just go boop and push one lever and do it. There's, like, ten people involved in doing it. And a couple of times before this, at least, we've had, like, they need to... They need to dial up more warp speed, or they need to, to put, put more, more power in the engine. Yeah, they need to like put more power into the phasers. So you get the impression at this point that it's not completely automated. It's not like whoever's on the con hits a button and the course changes. It's something you have to like involve it's, other people. It is so funny because despite the fact that this is the 10th episode, it was the first mm-hmm. film, and it feels more put together and thought out yeah. than episodes that have it's come. Tighter. I will yeah. say, of every episode that we have watched so far, this I would pick for a pilot. Yeah. Yeah. This was for introducing and meeting people and getting a good sense of what the hell is going on. Yeah. I would pick this as a pilot of everything we've seen so far. It's so strange that they filmed this, and this is very kind of chummy. We get a lot of really good character moments. We don't get a lot of Ahura. um, Who's in gold in this episode. Who's in gold. Back in gold. And says a lot of Hailing Frequency Open, sir. But we do get a lot of good character moments and interactions. Yeah. It's weird that they went from this to episodes where they seem to just have met each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but well, again... that's just bad writing. Yeah. I think it was production because because this one was so expensive and time-consuming to make mm-hmm. and because of their decisions, they had to push it back. But it works for me. Well, yeah, and for all of that, for all the great character interactions and stuff like that, there is a lot of filler shots going on in this episode. There's a lot of just, let's hold and wait 
wait and see what happens. Oh, we're waiting. No, no, we're still waiting. We're going to go to commercial. When we come back, we're still waiting. I hear you. We have to, again, think about commercial breaks. Yeah. Which we don't see because... Yeah. Well, yeah, I know. There's there's actually a point where they're counting down from seven minutes to whatever, and they cut to a commercial break at, like, seven minutes, and you come back, and they've got, like, four minutes, and Mm -hmm. that would have accounted for the commercial time, which I thought was really smart. But I'm just talking about, like... We're just going to sit here and wait for this one minute of time, and we're just going to sit here, and nobody's doing anything, and they're just sitting there waiting, and I was like, are you kidding me? Well, the thing is, like, I know that they did that because they need to fill up, like, the 50 minutes, but the thing is that about this episode is that there is a lot of waiting in the stories. Like, they're waiting for something to happen. Mm. They're waiting to get blown up. They're waiting to figure something out. So it kind of works better than it would in other situations because there's supposed to be a lot of hurry up and wait in this episode. It is. It's. I think it's there to build tension. And also because we are modern viewers, we are not used uh, used to the slower cuts of yeah. something like this. Different like, editing. Oh, hells no. It is different editing and... We're used to like two, three second cuts in television shows right now. Yeah. There's not a lot of like tracking shot. There's not well, a lot also, of weird camera work. That's it's also like bam, a bam, technological bam. thing because it used to be a lot more difficult to edit and do effects, and now it's it's like one guy using like Adobe Premiere. Yeah, so I I hear that as a criticism, but I can see like historically why that makes sense, and it didn't bother me as much. Okay. It didn't bother me in this episode as much as it would have in others. I just, I just found it very noticeable, and it was the, those were the parts of the episode to me that I was like, come on already. So, something is Spock blocking them, or, <laughs> as I'm going to call it, and feel very pleased about myself for essentially the rest of the week, block blocking them. <laughs> I like Spock blocking them. Spock blocking them. Equally. Yeah, uh, I'm going to have to go with block blocking them, because in front of the ship is essentially a... It's a Rubik's Cube. No, it's, it's a Juggler's solved. Cube. Juggler's Cube. It was just yeah. a, it was a cube. It was, it was a, a giant cube. cube. It's a cube with different colors, mm-hmm. and the cube is lovingly rendered in beautiful special effects. <laughs> it is spinning. Mm-hmm. Menacingly. Men- <laughs> Men- I really have to give a tops, and I did not just look, look this color. up. The music is fantastic yeah. in this episode. Yeah. Like, really good. Like, there, there's, like, the cellos and that... I didn't notice because I only tend to notice music when it's inappropriate or doing something bizarro. Like That's the success of extra diegetic music, though. But I did notice that, and it was very good, and it did ramp up the tension because it was, like, this is slightly mysterious, but slightly threatening. I loved it. Loved it so much. And Bailey start... I Bailey. How, how to solve a problem like Bailey. So Bailey raises his voice. Ah, it's right ahead of us. And Spock says, like, calm your tits, Bailey. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. And they go on alert and they try to find... And it's obvious that Spock is a main character and he's interesting. Um, it very, I, I'm curious whether they ever thought to develop Bailey, if they ever meant to bring him back. No, they got oh, yeah. rid of him at the end of the episode. But even like bring him back in future, well, that's true. Well, if they did, they clearly decided against it. Yeah, screw that. Actually. Bailey's incompetent. Yeah. They, but it's interesting. Everyone in Star Trek is usually very competent. Yeah. With the notable exception of in the next generation, what's his face? 
What is his face? You have to give me more. The transporter guy, the guy who's afraid of the transporter. Barkley. Barkley's not good at his job. He's not a bad engineer. He's just way, way too anxious to be on a starship. He's he's a good engineer. He's just got a lot of neuroses. Yeah. But he's generally not good at his job. No. But he's a good engineer. He's bad at being in Starfleet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's also very good at, like like me, he's very good at holodeck programming. He's inappropriate at holodeck programming. But then you see later on in, like, Voyager where you find out he's actually moved over and he's doing holodeck programming as, like, his job. He's yeah. working on the emergency medical program. So there is a place, like, they show that even if you're not fantastic or well-suited to maybe the current they'll position, they'll find you. a place for you. Yeah. It is interesting because I think part of the fantasy that everyone really enjoys in Star Trek is that everyone is really good at their job. Yeah. yeah. And it's notable and interesting that there is someone in this episode who is not. No. Not good at their job. No, he's not good at his job. At... This is where we finally see Kirk, and he's on the, uh... <laughs> yeah. I laughed so okay. hard when this like, Okay, let's contact the captain, because he puts it on alert. And well, we cut yeah. to sickbay. Where a glistener sh- glistening Shatner is riding the upside-down square bicycle. <laughs> yes, that is absolutely correct. He is shirtless, he is sweaty, mm. he is exerting himself in mm. a very manly fashion. Mm. I'm guessing you were happy, Kirk. Okay, here's the part. If you close your eyes, and I would like you to do this right now, I'm going to do a dramatic reading oh of exactly what happened. Oh, God. Oh, I'm glad my eyes are closed. I don't have to watch this. Okay, go. Manly grunting. <clears throat> That's my boy. You're killing me. <clears throat> That's my boy. That's my <laughs> boy. Stop immediately. Okay, no. you can open your eyes because that was essentially a porno. It was. It 100% was. So Kirk was the added thing. Was that the actual dialogue? That is the actual dialogue. He definitely said that point once. And you're killing me. Oh, Oh, yeah, it's there. Oh, no. Especially if you add in the fact that he's there for a physical. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bones sees the alert light. Oh, they are getting physical. Yeah, and Bones sees the alert light going off. And he distracts Kirk from the alert light. Oh, you don't have to leave yet. Just push it. Push it. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was the only thing that I thought was not <laughs> great was, like, Bones. It's like, oh, we're at red alert. Better not let the captain see that till he's finished his physical. <laughs> it's, it's so terrible. And his, his justification is that otherwise Kirk would never sit down for a physical, which, fair. It, that we see that a bunch of times. Excruciating. Upside down. <laughs> square bicycle. bicycle riding. Or, like, climbing stairs upside down. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Guy, like, McCoy, the ship could be exploding at any point. But anyways... I like it better when we get yellow alert, red alert, so that you know how serious things are. Yeah. All alerts are alerts. uh, He doesn't tell him about that, and uh, McCoy says, I'm a doctor, not a moon shuttle conductor. (laughs) What? (laughs) Eh. This does become his catchphrase, and actually, in this episode, what was going to be his catchphrase, and we'll see this later, is, I never said that. Oh, really? Because remember when him and Kirk, Kirk's like, oh, you told me to never, I don't know, wear my blue pants on a Sunday. And Bones says, I never said that. That was supposed to be his catchphrase. Oh, really? But he uttered it that I'm an, I'm a doctor, not a moon shuttle conductor. And that instead became Far his catchphrase. And yeah. the, not only did it become Bones' catchphrase, it became a catchphrase of almost every single Starfleet doctor that yeah. you see. Yeah. Most notably, I think, in Voyager with the doctor. He mm. uses them all yeah. the time. But Bashir uses them a, a handful of times. A handful of times. But usually in situations that are callbacks to original series plot lines. Yeah. It's a great line. Although I would like explain to me how anything is like a moon shuttle conductor. 
Could someone explain to me what they no. do? He's he's not his job to facilitate Kirk's movements about the ship. I would have said cruise director, but hmm. maybe the moon is like a cruise now. I don't know. I'm gonna go with Kim's Kim's explanation that yeah, mm-hmm. that pretty much works. I mean, if only his destination was to the moon, he wasn't trying to get anywhere else. Yeah, and he didn't have to pay attention. To I anybody. did, however, really enjoy Kirk just wandering through the halls, shirtless, shirtless. sweaty, with yeah. his towel and his he shirt. There's no time back. for a shirt. <laughs> well, except he stops and goes back to his quarters because he does call up to the bridge and he says, uh, "Shirtless? Okay, is it? Yeah, shirtless." And Turbo loves shirtless. He calls up to the bridge He's like, "So is it uh, urgent? Are we gonna blow up or anything? Or can I put on a shirt?" Yeah. No, I'm gonna go back to my quarters and change. Well, yeah, that was one of the things that got me on the script is he you spend all this time following Kirk through shirtless shirtless through the ship he gets on he turns it on he's like bridge Kirk to bridge do I need to come up or can I go change go change okay and then like why? I assume they I don't cut something out. No, if the bridge is on the same level as I'm, his not. room. Well, no, I know that, but like, why couldn't he have checked without them? Like, well, he was like walking through the halls, or before he left. Why didn't he call before he left sick bay? It yeah. was a writing quirk that it was I felt I designed th- to fill time, and that bothers me. I think it's because at this point they hadn't worked out how people communicate on a ship, and I think it was is that. You can only communicate where there is a communication station. An intercom thing. An intercom thing. But surely there's one in sickbay. We know there's one in sickbay. We've seen Bones use it before to talk to the bridge. Uh, but Kim's again, right. it is odd. Original episode. Yeah. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, shirtless. Knew, knew I love this for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Kirk goes back to like take a shower and get less sweaty and glistening. And we go back to the bridge. Shame. Where Bailey is trying, <laughs> trying to sass Spock. Which is a mistake. It's a terrible mistake. Um, he says... Because no, Spock says, in. like, why did you, don't raise your voice, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And then we cut away and we come back and um, Bailey is, like, very defensive. He's like, I wasn't, like, losing my head. I happened to have a human thing called an adrenaline rush. And Spock sort of leans over, pushes him out of the way, presses some buttons because Bailey can't handle the buttons. And says, sounds most inconvenient. I recommend you have it removed. <laughs> and Sulu Bing! just looks over at him and says... Son, just don't. No, Sulu laughs at that. That was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. If, you're, if you're trying to cross brains with Spock, you are going to lose every time. Yeah. Why? Why bother? Why? Yeah. Why? And then there is what I can. Scotty shows up, I believe. Yeah, not important because what happens next is important. <laughs> what happens next will shock you. It is a giant, long. I know what you're thinking. No. It's a long tracking shot of Kirk's butt walking out of yeah. like from his room, following him out into the corner. Not his head, just his butt. Yeah. I I was His butt is also greeting crewmen. It, it was clearly directed by someone who loved Shatner's butt as much as me. Yeah. <laughs> it was very odd. For a time that was all about the sexism. Um, they lavish attention and love they to Shatner's do. body. Yeah. yeah, like he gets a lot of like. There's some loving shots of him glistening with the abs hanging out, and yeah, it's the, it's, the objectification was roughly like equal. There's not tons runtime. of I would say like tit and ass shots. No, but a lot of like, no. look how beautiful this person's body. There's a is. lot of like soft light yeah. shots of, of ladies not, in blue light. Usually but, with with the female characters, it's not like. There's not a pan. Most of the hypersexualized shots, with the notable exception of the Orion ladies, mm. are of men. Men's sweaty, glistening, naked torsos. It's very strange. I cannot 
Kirk gets naked more than anybody I'm else trying to, Let's show. think back to Mud's woman. Mm-hmm. There were, pa- was it pan shots of them from the bottom up, or was it, was it just their faces? It was you get a their lot of, whole you get their, Yeah, you get their whole bodies on the transport. Well, you get them posing, yeah. and then you get go through, and it was close-ups of all of their faces. Yeah. And then you come back out to them still, like, posing on the transport. Well, also, it's weird, because I didn't feel that they were necessarily sexualized. It's just that they are so beautiful. Yeah, objectified, but not hypersexualized. No, which is very strange, because with... Well, we also had much... We have a very different in, uh, in, um, industry tolerance and cultural tolerance for hypersexualization on television now yeah. than they did in the That 60s. is very true. So... Like, like, the kind of things that we do for female characters in television shows now would have been legally obscene when this was originally airing. Yeah. Yeah, and it, I, was, I was just thinking of when, last episode, when Dr. Helen Noel comes onto the bridge, you get this very sort of like, oh my god, she's beautiful, but they don't, like, pan up her no, body like or a, anything. it's like a... Bust. It's a headshot. Yeah, or you get the full length, so you can take yeah. in the legs with the short skirt type yeah, of deal. stupidly short But there's skirt. not yeah. a lot of, like panning up TNA shots because that's not how we objectified people in the 60s. We did it differently. It's true. And I mean, that would have never run past censors who no. had bit giant problems with it. It's just very strange because in our, right now, like when things are sexualized, you're seeing a lot of skin and it's a well, lot of like lingering anyway. shot of women's jiggly Usually bits. women. Yeah. Well, for, for, for example, I was skimming through an episode of Teen Wolf last night <laughs> And there was a character who was in her bedroom and she was lying face first on, like, not face first, but she was lying stomach down on her bed reading a book. But you start at her toes and you pan all the way up her body. This is a minor. Yes, up her legs, past her ass, along her torso to her boobs, and finally end up on her head. And then the situation is not anything to do, anything sexual. She's going to start having a conversation with her mother. She's a woman, therefore she must... And it was was gross and disturbing. And then what I'm thinking, when you're talking about how it's it's not necessarily sexualized in this, and I flash back to what I was watching last night, and the difference is just, like, shocking. Yeah, 90% of what they would have considered racy on Star Trek doesn't even ping with me, because our sensibilities are so different. No, like, I think the skirts would have been salacious, because they are very short. Only, I think... And even today, we still find that a little shocking. Yeah. Oh yes, but because we because also, I think us as women are like, yeah. oh my god, how did they bend down if they but drop something? The thing with the skirts though is that this is the '60s and they were mini skirts, which were also a political feminist thing. So the skirts are really hard to parse because that's really short now, but then it was a political statement. You were a liberated woman if you wore mini skirt. I will actually give you that. I don't know that. I don't know. I don't see their uniforms as very. Sexual? I see them no. as ridiculous. They're ridiculous. How are you going to bend over? But and they're get not. Anything. They're not sexy. They're not like Deanna's jumpsuits. Oh, yeah. those aren't sexy. They, yes, they are. I they to okay, to I will give you be a better sexy. example. Seven of Nine. Oh, gross. oh yeah, that is disgusting, and that's one of the reasons why I never liked Seven of Nine. It's not her fault, and I probably like her better now as an adult. But as a teenager, her in that cat suit rubbed me the wrong way, and I hated the character that's because the of thing that. Is that, that those, these are graduating levels of hypersexualization because. Deanna's outfits are clearly meant, like, you. I've heard Marina Sirtis talking about these things. She's like, yeah, they did these huge plunging necklines. They had to give me special underwear because they were so tight. And why they couldn't let her be oh. in a regular and finally they did. uniform. That's really and interesting because I never read her outfits as, like, supposed, like I mean, she's... But compared to everybody no, else. I thought she was supposed to be pretty and beautiful, yeah. mm-hmm. but I never... I mean, I was also a child at the time, but I never read it as she was supposed to be, like, super sexualized Well, there's or also the fact that, like, you put her in something that is not a Starfleet uniform. Yeah. 
because she's not really a Starfleet officer. She's the ship's counselor. She's there to comfort people and uh, speak softly to them and be a caretaker. And in a completely different way from Beverly being cast as the caretaker role. She's still... And again, that is the problem with the next generation. But Deanna is set apart from even the other female characters in that she's given this, like, this soft, clingy... She's put special, in a sexy jumpsuit. She's put in a sexy jumpsuit for what she needed special underwear that was different even from everybody else's special underwear. Mm, she you should talk about it. We can talk lot. about this more in a couple of months, yeah. I guess, when we but get it's to very, next gen. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's very different. Because I have I have some disagreements with what you're saying, but we won't get to it today. We'll mm. get to it when we get to next and gen. It's still very different from the way that we view Seven of Nine and the way that we view the the the, the, the super short skirt uniforms on original series because it's a sensibilities thing, but it's also a the way that television treated women thing. Yeah, it's also now that I'm thinking of it, when you talk about Seven of Nine, the the, the outfits, the uniforms that they have for T'Pol in oh, Enterprise yeah. is like there's a there's up to a point where we're her wearing her cat suit or whatever. It's like okay, that's part of whatever you were wearing as a Vulcan, blah blah blah. But then there's actually a point where she becomes a Starfleet officer, mm-hmm. and rather than you know her wearing a Starfleet uniform, she just sort of changes into a cat suit that's in basically Starfleet colors and you know that was Star Trek didn't do really this? stupid DS9 in fact those outfits got less sexy as the show went on mm-hmm. um, but anyway yeah so it follows Shatner's butt to the bridge <laughs> um, well, actually it follows him to a staff meeting yeah well no because we go to the bridge for, I have a note that we go to the bridge first because all the department heads <laughs> have been called to the bridge and Scotty shows up and he doesn't know anything and then Bone shows up and he doesn't know anything either so that no was one like knows a, anything no one actually knows anything. I retract that you can erase that what happens is the camera follows his butt 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 and then it goes over his shoulder that was weird I love I love all of this. I'm so sorry. It goes over his shoulder and starts panning around the bridge. I love it because it's because it's how the captain sees his ship through his butt. Often <laughs> <laughs> wonder the function of a butthole, but now I know. Um, but it kind of goes over his shoulder and takes a look. And you're right. All of the heads of the different departments are there, and and at the meeting, we're at the meeting now. Uh, no. no, because Bailey says we need to blast oh, it yeah. out of the sky. This is where Bailey just started, like, let's just blow this shit oh, up. And I think Kirk is essentially, if I wanted your opinion, I would ask for it when this shit becomes a democracy. Yeah. <laughs> Snap. I enjoyed that a great deal. And then we go to a space staff meeting. Which is hours later. 18 hours so they've been which, sitting on their asses. Which looks exactly like staff meetings of today, yep. where everyone is having coffee. There's space coffee. Doodling. Here, no, no, no. Here's the part that I really like about space coffee. Mm-hmm. People are pouring it for themselves. Yeah. And I don't, like, here is Uhura, and she is a black woman who traditionally would have been, like, in a service, and maybe, like, and she's a woman, so where should we go have coffee? No. She's also sitting near the head of the table. Exactly. Yeah. People are pouring their own coffee. coffee. The yeah. men can do it themselves. Yep. Yeah. And I liked that it, it looked like they had been there for a while because everybody had, like, multiple bits of stuff sitting yeah. with them. Everybody had a coffee cup. This may not even be the first meeting they've had in the 18 hours they've been sitting here. Yeah. Yeah, Uhura looks bored as hell. Yeah. yeah. It's like, we've been stuck here in front of this cube for, like, a million years. Yeah, and they're, they're trying to figure out what to do. They're essentially at a standstill. They think, oh, it might be a space probe. It might be a space. I have never pronounced this word correctly in my entire life. Boy, Bowie. 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 Mm. A space Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> and Bailey, again, is like, shoot it, 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 And instead, they decide to try to evade it in a spiral? A spiral course away. 
Okay. It doesn't fine. work. It doesn't fine. work. Fine. Horror takes her cubes and leaves. <laughs> also, I believe by this point, wrote, have we tried hailing it? Because I think at this point, they still have not tried hailing it. Yeah, well, yeah. That's, a, that's they, a note I, I made earlier. It. It's like, I think I they think don't they specify. They don't ever actually at any point specify oh, during this. Because that would be an obvious thing to Yeah. Me. Yeah, well, that it was a. It would be to the Oh, no, I think they did. Answers. It was a question I that I did. had earlier. No, no, no. It was a question I had earlier because when, once the giant beaded spaceship shows up, <laughs> they do try and hail it. And I asked, well, wait, wait, did they try hailing the cube? I so think they yeah. did. They, no, they don't say it on screen, but I think you're supposed to assume if they've been sitting there for that long that they tried hailing it. That is true. Yeah. And um, we go back to the screensaver of Doom. Mm-hmm. And the spiral course is not working out. No, the red. Ba- <laughs> No, the red button is trying to tell them something again. <laughs> How they starts. interpret the tweeps of this red button is it's button code. poorly beyond me. And then Spock starts yelling about radiation because the cube has started blasting out radiation. Yes. Yeah. Which is bad. Um, and the spiral cores is not working uh, because it keeps getting closer and closer. Everyone is very calm except for Bailey. Bailey is losing, losing it. it. Like, and here's the deal. Kirk does not play chicken to lose or draw. No. So essentially they're they go do- to warp, which seems, I mean, I wouldn't have tried that, but I'm not James Kirk. No, so they're, they are, they're playing chicken with this block. Yeah. And they're getting kind of closer and closer in the spiral coast. The radiation is going up. To lethal levels. To lethal, no one is concerned. Nope. Because the they are concerned. professionals. No, he's just kind of saying, you know, we're all going to die and be fried mm. and impotent. And, um, finally... Kirk says, fire the phasers. Mm-hmm. Cool as a cucumber. The ship gets bolstered around, which I have a very pressing question of what the hell are people doing just walking around in the corridors? During an alert. It is an alert. They know what has happened because they're continually telling them. <laughs> so why not just sit yourself down somewhere and put on your space seat belt? Grab a wall. But instead, they are just all gathered in the hallways. Well, maybe they have important space work to get to. They have no important space work. There's nothing else to do. They should be at their jobs and or posts rather than hanging around in the hallway. Kind of like Bailey, who when Kirk orders him to fire the phasers, freezes up. Ugh. um, And does not fire the phasers. And someone actually, does Bailey eventually actually fire the phasers? Does someone have to jump in and do it for him again? No, I think he gets it done. It's just slow. Slow. Too slow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And the cube goes... Kablooey Space Destroyer Mm -hmm. Oh, can I just mention here That I noticed um, So they fire and everything And then they go to commercial They cut for a commercial break And you come back from the commercial break And there's this couple of notes Of like super intense French horn action That sounded to me like It made me actually sit up and go Did they recycle that for the Deep Space Nine theme? (laughs) It sounds like the opening few notes Of the DS9 theme So I don't know I didn't notice that I, I don't know, it just, like, I actually had to rewind it and watch it again, because I was like, that sounds like Deep Space Nine! Mm. So it was very interesting to me, so, I don't know, maybe we'll have to research that if I can work mm. up the enthusiasm. Yeah. So at this point, Kirk goes over the mission statement of the ship. Because they've blown up the thing, and they're like, okay, do we carry on the way we're going, or do we turn back? Yes. Because apparently there are radiation-blasting spinning space cubes in this area of space, and maybe not a friendly neighborhood. Space cubes. But it's, again, moments that I really love, where Kirk says, our mission is to go seek out and contact alien life. Mm -hmm. Yep. That is our mission. And then, pop quiz to everyone else on the deck, what do you think we should do now? 
Oh, and by the way, your response time was too slow. Yeah, by the way, Bailey, you are terrible at your job. Um, But there's a nice moment with Spock where he kind of sits down and I think he has a little bit of a -a tete-a-tete. And Spock says, why why do you continually question me when you know what my answer is going to be and then you ignore it anyways? (laughs) And Kirk says he just finds it comforting. (laughs) (laughs) All is right in the universe and Spock disagrees with me. Yeah, and so Kirk tells Bailey to run some phaser... Uh, they want to run some simulation experiments. And also the phaser crew. Yeah. And it's so. It's the phaser crew's fault. It's Bailey's fault. Bones accosts Kirk and has a chat in the turbo about lift. Bailey. In yeah. the turbo Follows lift. him into the elevator. Because all tense conversations are had in a walk and talk. <laughs> yeah. A Sorkin style walk and talk. And we find out that Bailey was uh, promoted really fast, and Bones thinks, Bones thinks too fast because Kirk is reminded of himself. In Bailey. From 11 years ago. Which, yeah. does that mean that 11 years ago he was, like, a helmsman and he's worked his way up through the ranks? I think it's... I don't know what that specific thing is meant to reference, because 11 years ago seems very specific. But without that, I would take it to mean that he's very smart, but he's kind of a little bit reckless, and he is always pushing to get ahead faster and faster. Bailey is not reckless or smart. No, he's not. But I, I, there's some quality about him that reminds Kirk of himself is what Bones thinks. They're both blonde. Anyways. And because yeah. of that, he's cutting him a lot of leeway when he fucks up over and over again. Yeah. He hasn't, like, screwed up to the extreme yet. He's been slow. Yeah, he's been slow and he's been scared. Yes, and essentially... Kirk says this again and again and is one of my favorite themes is that captains and I think that's kind of what he sees himself in Bailey captains and Starfleet officers do not have the luxury of emotion at least not in being controlled by it not in the same like not in the same way that Spock does not have emotions but you cannot be lose your head you can't lose your head you can't be scared in the way that your regular person would be scared like Sulu is concerned but he is not still shouting, doing his damn job shoot it shoot it out of the sky with the phasers yeah Yes, so Bones is quite upset at him, and to show how upset he is, they go to Kirk's room and have a drink. Yes, <laughs> this is one of my, this is one of my favorite themes in the original series: <laughs> boozing it up in the captain's quarters. Sometimes <laughs> sick day, but yeah, <laughs> captain's usually involved. Just no, Picard just drinks tea. He doesn't drink yeah. hard tea. Oh, great, hot. Well, good on him. Mm-hmm. And. Bones continues on his theme of people are not machines, neener, neener, neener. And Bailey reports back that phasers or the phaser The drills are going real well. They're Um, going at like 94%. And Kirk is like, we'll get it up to 100. And call me back. (laughs) Call me when when you're perfect. (laughs) And Bones says, when they bring you that 6%, what are you going to do with it, Jim? He says, I'm going to take it and I'm going to... And then they're interrupted. Oh, I would love to know what he did with that. What he uh, did with that they're interrupted because Rand comes in with Kirk's salad. <laughs> I love oh. that she just barges in. Dinner time! Well, because she's like, you haven't eaten in like a million hours or something. And it's salad. And Kirk is like, what is this green monstrosity? And she says, it's Bones' fault. He says you're getting fat. <laughs> because he just had his physical. And Bones is like, well, you gained a few pounds. Eat it. So I change your dietary card. Again, I have harped on this many times before, and I'm going to harp on it one more time. Get ready for my favorite tune. Yeoman Rand is a stupid position. It is embarrassing, and it is gross. Here, I'm here to feed you and mother you. I hate it. I hate Yeoman Rand's 
Uh, I don't blame Grace Lee Whitney at all. I think she does a great performance. She brings, she's very smunky. She's very funny. Yes. But the entire role of Yeoman Rand is humiliating. Well, yeah. Um, the, although this was this was a part where I think sort of some of that was a little bit challenged, maybe because Kirk is upset at whoever in Starfleet sent him a female human. So like, yeah. normally would a dude be doing this as well? Like he'd having a guy bring him his. Or is it just everything? like a specific like who signed me specifically a female yeoman? I don't. It's very I think, strange because we don't see any male yeoman. Yeah, well, um, and that's, we do that's, actually a couple of times later. Oh, the people doing it has what ran much, much later. Well, we see people bring up like male characters bringing Kirk coffee. We see them like bringing things to sign. Yeah, but it's not one specific person assigned to him to be his like surrogate mother. No, but other people on this ship do have yeoman. So it's like I don't know. I think it th- this actually comes down more to combining someone who is like your personal assistant and admin person with. A love interest. I, I and I think Ari, you, you've said it before that essentially they tried to find a position that was equivalent to the space secretary. Because I mean, Yeoman is a real position, and most of the stuff that Rand does, like the actual duties that she performs, are you know things they would do in real life. It's just that on top of that, it's the '60s, and she's a woman, and the love interest, so it gets real messed up and embarrassing. It's so interesting because when reading about kind of like the background production stuff is that yes she was supposed to be the long term interest with yeah. her but we don't really see much of this no um, we see a lot from her like yeah. I absolutely believe that she has a thing for Kirk oh, definitely but I am pleased that they phased out the yeoman positions I it Later rubs on, me yeah. the wrong way yeah um, and yes Kirk is upset that he was sent a female yeoman and bones this is the in second his... time he says almost that exact same line too. Yes. in an earlier episode. And bones in his leering is leery, leerious that only DeForest Kelly can pull off. Says, <laughs> "Don't you trust yourself, Jim?" As if at any point he's just gonna ravish her on the helm. Yeah. And well, that's one thing that Kirk has been very good about, and I think the writing was really impressive. Is that Kirk is professional with his he female knows that staff. this would be mm-hmm. his female staff, especially yeah her in particular yeah. and he says I've already got one female to worry about she's called the Enterprise but um boom ching and I love this and you know how much I love this yes. and I yes. love all this yes. all this all this away except this uh, women are just objects anyways so at this point I have a note of when do people sleep which is true everyone who's been on the bridge has been there for at least eight hours well some of the people more. in the background have changed actors because yeah, Uhura goes away for a little while and there's a guy sitting in her seat for a little while and then she comes back the time lapse is a little confusing in this episode because yeah. it's got to be a couple of days at least. Yeah. But it's not, apart from the, that, the, that, that first staff meeting we see where someone actually says in the log that it's been 18 hours, we don't really get a concrete idea of how much time is passing. No. But it must be a while. It's a while. But, okay, Kim, what was your description of this? Big giant beaded ball. <laughs> yeah. I think we had, this might be like an early 90s thing, the weird kind of like, gel things and then you could combine them to make things and they made balls like this that was like a sparkle ball I was thinking of that weird sort of foldy thing that was like all the right angles and you pull it out and it expanded into a bigger sphere I don't remember what that was called yeah I don't know it just looked like they had taken some beads and beads and sort of glued them together in a sphere to you know on top of maybe like a styrofoam ball or something I think what it actually was was a bunch of out of focus lights 
No, it was a. There were flowers on it. There were flowers. Definitely, there flowers. were patterns. But <laughs> oh no, they just looked like you know when you see characters in like night scenes where you see like the little glowy balls, which are supposed to be way out of focus lights in the background. That's what it looks like to me, except in patterns, because some of the patterns definitely do look sort of like lace or like flowers. Oh, it's a flower. Um, I don't. I don't even know where we go. Like what we. Can it was call a giant thing, beaded space ball, which appears beaded out of space ball. Yep. It yeah it flies out of nowhere, and here's where I lost it. Had to have Ari stop it and yeah. add a moment to myself. Mm-hmm. So they say it is almost a mile in diameter. <laughs> Fine. It's five hundred meters 5, away. Five thousand. I went back and checked. It's five thousand meters away. How many? I have no idea how many meters are in a mile, because miles because are, it's nonsense. Because they're it two different nonsense. systems. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we're supposed to get the idea that it's really big and and no one knows how to calculate things consistently. Yeah, I find the confu- the the switching back and forth between real units of measurement and non-real units of measurement very irritating. Sorry, miles are real <laughs> only in America. <laughs> so essentially, oh no, it's it's science world. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Science, science world. It is. Yes. So Kirk says, hello. This is United Earth Ship Enterprise. The only time that that is ever used in the canon. Yeah, every other time it's United Spaceship. And essentially says, yo, what's up? What's hey, up? Hey, guys. And for reasons I do not understand, Ahura doesn't get the message coming back. No, they sent it along the navigational beam. Yeah, nonsense. Mm-hmm. Bailey gets the message. Yeah, I didn't understand why this was like that either. No. And I, I it just seemed to be theory. another excuse for Bailey to screw up. Well, that And too. talk. But I would theorize that if it came through the proper comm channel, Uhura would be able to control the signal, but the way that it comes through, it has to go over the all ship, so everyone hears what the evil alien says. I don't know. That's how it works out anyway. Anyways, not important. Everyone can hear everything the aliens so are saying. So it's Balok. Yes. He's from the Pisarius first... Federation, uh-huh. you are predative and savage. Is Pisarius the name of the ship? I it might. I, I think, think it is, is the name of the ship. Yeah, because they're they're, the they're part Federation. of the First Federation, and you are not peaceful. And you blew up our probe. You blew up our probe. You jerks. And now we're gonna kill. Well, first we're gonna shut off all your systems. Yeah. So, as a first impression, positive. No, this reminded me of the first time the Enterprise D meets Q, where they're yeah. stuck behind mm. a giant beaded space force field, and <laughs> you mean it's very reminiscent curtain? of yeah. this. And Q shows up and's like, "Well, you guys are violent and warlike. Well, it's Why very, should I let you live?" It's very similar mm. because it's like it's a test, and even the visuals are very yeah. similar. It's like mysterious thing following us at warp, and then it's like a lot of little dots of light and the entire thing is a test like how you react to the test mm. so it's very similar i do think that was a deliberate callback the idea of like a superior alien race putting them into an adversarial situation just to see what they'll do and then judging them based on what they do interesting well done the next generation yeah mm-hmm. so they shut off their sensors and they shut off all their systems kirk says to dispatch the recorder marker, which I said is their equivalent of the black box. Yeah, to so sort that, of warn people. Yeah, so that this. anyone should come into this part of space that Kirk's message Which is actually, like, no. like, should, you would think, it's like going along with what they want, but the aliens are like, any hostile action will be met with force, but all they're doing is putting out, like, a recording buoy to tell people not to do what has pissed the aliens off so much. Yes. And it, it is destroyed. Up. Yeah. Yeah, it gets blown up. Yeah. Because this is how these aliens roll. And anyone else, like any normal person, would get really frustrated about now. It's like, what the f*** do you want from us? 
I actually wrote down, the Enterprise is also slated for exploding. (laughs) (laughs) There is an amazing part where Balok says, we assume you have deities or deities that you believe in and can comfort you. You have ten minutes to make your preparations. Make peace with your gods. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Ten minutes, very generous. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Such a good... But again... It's funnier in hindsight, though, when we know how it works out. Oh, it's it's still funny. Yeah. It's always funny. But it's more funny. Um, interesting that they were able to kind of step back and think of, as aliens. Like, you probably have... You tiny people probably have deities or a god that you could pray to that will comfort you... Do that. Ten minutes. Ten minutes, yeah. please. That's that's enough, right? Yes. And and then Kirk's like, okay, fuck this. We're just gonna go, okay? That does that that, 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 that actually that does not work for them. No. So the message was broadcast all over the ship, so everyone hears this. Assume to so they have time for this. They're trying to locate where the actual voice is coming from yeah, within, because... within science world. Yeah. And everyone is a little bit nervous, and Kirk is like, guys, guys. The greatest danger is ourselves. The only thing to fear is fear itself. Essentially, yeah. And uh, (laughs) they really, they're, they're, because Kirk's like, surely a species that is advanced enough to, you know, threaten us like this can listen to reason because he's still trying to reason with it. Yes, Kirk. No, he says, if you can fly, you can be tolerant. I would argue, no. The Kardashians, the Andorians, Kardashians. Uh, Kardashians. Not the Kardashians. I, I stick with my main point. Yeah. Uh, but the Kardashians Klingons. and the Kardashians. Oh my god. Both deal the Andorians, Klingons. the Klingons, the Romulans. Romulans um, lots of other. Yeah. Men. Kirk, no. Just because you can fly doesn't make you a good person. But I think it's more like stating the premise from which they're operating rather than the thing he actually believes is true. I think it is because Bailey wants to blow these suckers out of That's the all. sky. That's the only contribution Bailey has made so far is the suggestion that we just blow everything up. Yes. Um, and this is where Spock's like, hey, wait, I think I've got a visual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. So what comes on screen... Uh, it's a puppet. It's a bad yeah. puppet. And here's the thing, is I forgot that there was supposed to be a person behind the puppet, and yeah. I thought the alien, that was the alien that we were going to be the seeing. not even moving. And I was like, this is the worst puppet. I understand why they put the distortion on the screen to kind of cover up yeah. how bad it looks. Yeah. It was terrible. It was like your classic sort of like round gray alien. Mm, big with like forehead. A big forehead. Mouth. It was just so bad. Yeah. It is not good, um, but it's it's not meant to be good. No. It, it, it's it's scary and unknown because you get a moment of shock where everyone's like, "Wow, this looks really alien." Oh, uh, and the, and he's like, "Essentially, there is no escape. Uh, you're wasting time. You're Go wasting back to time. Playing. Just get ready for the end." At which point, Bailey, Bailey loses it. loses it. He goes on a serious monologue of which you will hear each of us reading at the end of this episode. <laughs> Um, somebody's got to do something. And Sulu... Very loud existential crisis. Yeah, essentially just counts down. Yeah. yeah. I think my favorite line from that was, what are you, robots? Marching yeah. tin soldier he's with rules and regulation. And yes, Bailey, he's doing his job. As is everyone else. Yeah, literally everyone else in the bridge. you. Mm-hmm. And Kirk orders him off the deck into his quarters. And space... Relieves him of duty, basically. Yes, space is not for everyone. No. no. But it is for Sulu, who yep. is very good at his job. Yep. Yeah. And 
everyone is getting they're not thrilled no with the situation. No they're panicking. tense. Mm-hmm. Um, Scotty would probably like Sulu to stop counting down because he says you have an annoying fascination with timepieces. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Kurt is sort of like, but okay, surely they know we mean them no harm. And is it Scotty that says, well, surely they know we can't actually do anything to hurt them Mm -hmm. anyway. And Kirk's like, surely there's something we can do. Because as we know later, Kirk does not believe in the no-win scenario. No, and he's, there must be something that I've overlooked. Which, again, I love this because Mm -hmm. it's part of the the logic puzzle plot, which I really We talked about about chess for a couple of minutes. Yes, and Spock says, you know, in, in chess... There's checkmate. It's the end of the game. This is my best recommendation. There's no other logical alternative. This is a game. And he, again, they're using the metaphor that I think comes most naturally to them is chess, which they play all the time. Yeah. And Kirk says, no one's given up yet. No one's given up yet. And then we have a little aside where Bones, in the middle of a crisis, on the bridge where everyone can hear, sort of goes to Kirk and he's like, look, I want you to let me put Bailey's, like, breakdown, freakout down as, like, a medical thing rather than him just being shitty at his job. Um, because it'll look better in the record. And but Kurt quite randomly is like, does this seem like the time to you? <laughs> Who cares in the record? The record is gonna get blown, blown up. up. Yeah. There will be no record. There will be no Bailey. No nope. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Let's put this on the back burner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was that was a bit weird. Yeah. Is this the time? I, yes, no. I also have that underlined is, in my Is this notes. really the yeah. yeah, is this the best time to be having this conversation? But it, And he yells, he gets upset, and he's like, Okay. Yeah, gotta keep it together, Kirk. Keep it, keep the Kirk together. But he says, anytime that you can bluff me, and then we gotta change up that metaphor. This is not chess. This is poker. And so, cool Kirk, cucumber Kirk, Uh uh, calls up the alien and says, hey, so you've scanned all of our records, and we see them kind of go through all the ships. So they've got all the ship, all of humanity kind of figured out. But there's this critical bit of information that we don't keep on our computers, and we've got this corbomite. And our rules require ethically that we warn you about this. Mm -hmm. That prevents destroys, uh, prevents any kind of, anyone trying to uh, sorry, attack us. Yes. Yeah. So essentially, if someone tries to attack them, it will also destroy the attacker. Any kind of destructive yeah. energy. Two centuries ago, sense. when we went into space, we figured if we're going out, we're taking everyone mm-hmm. with us. Mm-hmm. To be fair, that does sound awfully human. And there is an amazing line where he says, Death has little meaning to us. We grow annoyed at your foolishness. Kirk out. Yeah. <laughs> While I agree that that was like a baller move on Kirk's <laughs> part, um, that bit rung a little bit false to me, especially if they were trying to bluff somebody who had just, as they have just said, you've probably scanned our computers. Like, at this point, if they've got all of the uh, knowledge and they know enough that, like, you've got gods, like, they're going to know that death actually does have meaning to these people. You would argue, if I looked at the history of humanity, I would argue no. People run headfirst into stupid situations all the time. Yes, but there are also so many formalized rituals around death that it does have to have some meaning. But the fact that he, the alien, sits back and says, you know what? You're fucked. There's no more planning. Go and make peace with your gods. Suggests that the idea that there is a, a separation between the spiritual and the the here and now and like yeah. the doing your job stuff. And what he's saying is, you know, that this is actually a secret that we don't put on the ship's computers for exactly this reason. I think if you think about it like the Vikings. The Vikings, yes, stop rolling your eyes. 
The Vikings lived their lives fully, and they had many ritualized ceremonies about death, but death was just another thing to do after you'd finished, like, kicking ass and breeding stuff. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, move on. And uh, Spock gives a tip of the hat to Kirk, and he says, that alien, that Balok, reminds me <laughs> of my dad. <laughs> that was weird. That was a moment and a half. In the sense that he's a stubborn asshole who doesn't listen to anyone once he's made up his mind. And has I very little facial expressions. Yeah. I also see that. And Scotty says, well, heaven help your mother. <laughs> yeah. And Kirk says, oh, no. she considered herself a very fortunate, fortunate earth, earth woman. woman. I like... Spock says, but yeah. Yeah. That, was a, that was a response and a half. Yeah. <laughs> um... Well, I mean, she could consider herself very fortunate because maybe that's all the stuff she loved about Spock's dad was that he was emotionless and cold and could only move his eyes. She did marry him and have a kid with him. Yeah. I read it more that he was a stubborn ass who would never listen to anybody, which is true. Yes. Sarek is a stubborn ass who won't listen to anybody. Except his wife. Except his wife. And I think it also speaks to, from the alien's point of view and from Spock's point of view, Kirk's bluff is his response is logical because Vulcans don't bluff. Mm-hmm. Vulcans yeah. apparently have no concept of bluffing because that would be lying and la da da. So from his point of view, it's like, oh yes, this is a great commander of his ship because he takes the logical response to a situation. Mm-hmm. I'm going to choose that rather than he thinks his dad is a giant green puppet. <laughs> <laughs> and Kirk then apologizes to Bone because he is a professional and Bone says, it is my fault and then starts sensually massaging Kirk's chair. <laughs> And Bailey comes back, and for whatever reason, yeah. they let him come back. He's literally been gone from the bridge for about four minutes. He had yeah. enough time to take the turbo lift to his quarters, go, no, I'm going to go back. Yeah, and we it's... were down to our last four minutes, but when he leaves, like, we're under four minutes, yeah. he goes away. I don't think he even gets to his room. I bet no. he goes down to the deck, turns around, comes back up. But here's the thing. Again, why you should have... Uh, a security lock on the door to the yeah. bridge is that he was banned. Mm-hmm. There's no bouncer. There is apparently no security uh, people to duty. get. He was relieved of duty, which essentially means you're out, but was able to stroll back onto the bridge. Yeah. No problem. Um, but all this really accomplishes is to get all of our main characters back onto the bridge for the last, like, ten seconds of the countdown. Which, no. Oh, no, no. You have to say it in George Takei's, like, soothing, I cannot approach George I would like to request... A George Decay clock, Ooh. much in the way that you know they had the G's ones the G's that was clock. narrated by uh, Stephen Fry. I would yeah. like a Sulu clock mm. to gently tell you. When well, to you could probably reach George Decay on social media and make the request. We're friends on Facebook, so <laughs> yeah. But the, the the counter counts down and it's very dramatic and the music is very and nothing happens. Yes. So Baylock says. We essentially Kirk is like now it's time to raise a call and Spock is like oh what an interesting game this poker is and Bones seeing a money making opportunity <laughs> says let's definitely play I assume for cash and property <laughs> and um, Balak says we will relent we'll give you a couple more minutes and Kirk just says request but only in- if but you only give us if. proof of this weapon yes and Kirk says request denied and hangs up oh yeah <laughs> Oh, and smirks. I love it. It was really cool. <laughs> Kareem, <you're> like vibrating. <laughs> it was very ballsy. It's so balls. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so now they're sort of hyper bluffing each other because the aliens are like, well, didn't expect that. Yeah. We will inform you of your fate. 
Yes, at which point I would like to reiterate to my previous theme of what the hell Yeoman ran. Oh yeah, she shows up with coffee. For the captain. Mm -hmm. If you're bringing coffee, you bring enough for the rest of the crew. Which, by the way, the power is out, so she proudly announces that she made the coffee with a hand phaser. That was very ingenious I don't disagree that it was very ingenious. However, does this seem like the time for coffee? Writers. I will go back to our previous question. Is this the time for this? But of course, they're just trying to get her on screen. Well, yes, and also, because if you are counting down to the end of the universe or your ship is going to blow up and you're not entirely certain what you're going to do, I would probably make a cup of tea. So she made coffee. I would gave her something to drink for the hard stuff at that point, but I yeah, see point. strange liquor. I would actually start breaking china, like just taking cups and plates and throwing them around. Mm-hmm. I would definitely make a cup of tea so I can empathize with Rand making coffee. But it's not even for herself. It's for her man. Well, she probably drank a cup first. You always take care of yourself before the other passengers scream. Mm. Um, So the the aliens come back with their verdict. Yes. You will be interred and your ship will be destroyed. Yes. So they popped up a set of earrings and the earrings are going to tow them to a planet. Yes. Yes. The only thing I can think of. It does kind of look like a pair of studs because it it sort of detaches from the larger ball of light ship Mm -hmm. and uh, slaps a tractor beam on the Enterprise and starts pulling them away. And Sulu, in the most disgusted voice ever, says, we are being towed. <laughs> yeah, he's so upset by this. It is started at 15.14.1, and they are still being towed. Mm-hmm. But Kirk has a plan. Mm. And step number one in that plan is to fake resignation. <gasps> and or play dead. Yeah. Essentially, uh, they play possum, don't they? Yeah, they sit there on the bridge, and they're like, okay, we're not going to do anything. Let's strategize. And they basically... Just sitting in their chairs, figure out the tractor beam, that's a really small ship and we're a really big ship that must be a huge drain on their power. How can we use that to our advantage? And it's a great little bit of problem solving that I really like mm-hmm. because this is a very sensible plan that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so they're going to start running their engines in the opposite direction of the tow. In to a 90 degree and, angle. In a 90 degree angle to try and drain the power of the little tow ship. And um, a lot of things, this is quite long and I think Kim probably got bored with it because there's a lot of yes this is where one more tick up on the engine power oh oh the engine's getting hot oh oh but the little ship's slowing down my engines yeah um get because spock keeps spock and scotty both keep calling out the engine temperature and they talk about the intermix Intermix. temperature yeah i did notice that they were talking about the intermix which i got a little excited about that was that was great the matter antimatter mix is very important on a starship intermix ratios are extremely important Mm -hmm. that's true Um, and it's getting hot and that is bad yeah and so one of the things that i did notice here is that they kept cutting back and forth to crew members in the hallway bouncing off the walls which i know kareen had a problem with kareen does have a problem but but did you see the one crew member wearing the giant white puffy vest i did because that was amusing as hell Mm -hmm. It was like, it looked like it was made out of like large segments of packing material, Mm -hmm. like inflated packing material, but it was like a white vest. I think it was supposed to be an engineering vest because it vaguely resembles the ones in the first movie. I don't even know. It was such a weird piece of costuming. I'm going to have to go back. I will, um, (coughs) I will give you a piece of trivia that Jonathan Goldsmith, the man who plays the most interesting man in the world, you've seen the ads and the, um... I forget what they're called. The commercials, I suppose. Okay. I've been so changed by Netflix. Um, Is actually an unnamed crew member in the hallway. Oh, no way. That's awesome. Yeah. As apparently was everyone in the world. (laughs) 
<laughs> so ultimately this plan works. The mm-hmm. tractor beam shuts off. They pull away. They're free! Yay! Yay! But the little ship is real fucked up. Yes, it only has a little bit of life support, and Uhura picks up that it has tried to signal to the mothership saying, help, help, but that it, it the signal is not strong enough to reach the mothership, and they will die. Yeah, because their life support's failing. And, and uh, oh, no, no I no. like this bit a lot. Yeah, this like, is this an is... amazing moment where Kirk again goes over their mission statement. <laughs> yeah. I feel like a lot of managers were like, oh, yeah, Kirk, best one. Is that he's like, what is the mission of the ship? We, we have to, we have to find out what our high-sounding words mean. Yeah, let's live up to our stated principles. Yes, and uh, this is very smart, also from a purely mercenary point of view, because it's yes. like it proves that everything you thought about us was wrong. Yeah, we are noble. We are civilized. What we merciful. want to do is go out and meet people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not as conquerors, not as destroyers, in but friendship. We, in friendship. And I think that was beautiful. And he says, come on, Bailey, it's time to face the unknown and take a look. Try and do something right this time. Yeah, I like this section. It was good. And um, I think this is something that they carry forward through all the other series. As you see a lot is the captains will fire on someone or an enemy will be busted down. So like, okay, fine, let's go see what we can do to help. Mm-hmm. So Kirk takes both of the doubting Thomases with him. He mm-hmm. takes McCoy and Bailey. Mm-hmm. And so they go into the transporter room where the transporter people furnish them with a sash. Mm-hmm. It's the that's the holster for the phaser. It's the cap belt. Their sash, which we've seen multiple times before already. Although I think Bailey puts it on and doesn't even get handed a weapon, so it's just <laughs> just putting on my sash. Yeah, my going over to other ships sash. And Scotty tells them, "Crouch down low." It's a little crowded over there. I loved yeah, that. I, I thought that too. was a fantastic touch because so often people just like transport standing up with like, and you get no idea. Like the conditions are absolutely one hundred percent perfect for humans. Yeah, because in, in, this was in, great. I get that you can sort of look at a ship with your sensors and go, okay, the the air mix is livable. They have slightly more oxygen, but it's probably fine. But you don't often get them like obviously looking. Okay, this is the exact dimensions of the space you are beaming into. Which is important because, as we know, if you screw up transporting, sometimes you can rematerialize inside a wall. Yeah. So they assume the position <laughs> and then are transported into a magical world of curtains. <laughs> and teeny tiny spaceships. No, once they get out of that box, they're in a place with giant columns and the most floor length curtains I've ever seen in my yeah. life. So why didn't they just transport them like a little to the left? I don't know. But I think that was meant to convey that the ship is small. Because the first thing I thought when they materialize and the ceiling of the little alcove they're in is like a foot shorter than any of them. It's like, are these tiny aliens? And yes. I remember that, yes, yes they, they are. are tiny aliens. <laughs> Did it all come back to you? Mm-hmm. So they look over at Baylock and lo and behold, to zero people's surprise. Except <laughs> mine because I forgot. <laughs> it's an really? actual puppet. But it's in the TikTok fan vid, Kim. I forgot. Anyways, it's definitely 100% a puppet. And this time the special effects were bad on purpose. Yes. <laughs> and everyone is wondering. And then a voice says, come closer. Tee! Yeah. And another set of curtains <laughs> swings back to reveal that the alien that they have been fighting the entire time is in fact a tiny, baby bald man. child. Baby man. Is a baby man. Yeah. yeah. And this is clearly a child, but there's some dubbing going on, which is actually pretty good dubbing. Okay, so do you want your trivia now or later? Now. now. So the ch- baby ch- baby alien child is played by Clint Howard, 
brother of Ron Howard. Oh. And the voice is Walker Edmondson. He's the voice of Alex. So the guy has a very deep... Coming out of this tiny, obvious child who was asked to shave his head, but the father and the child were like, or you could put a bald cap cap on it. Which probably explains the fancy headband to hide. Yeah, it's fancy. No, it looks good. Anyways, Walker Edmondson uh, did a lot of voice work throughout his career. He was the voice of Sir Thornberry in The Gummy Bears. Uh Uh-huh. But also on Avatar The Last Airbender was Fire Lord Azulon. <gasps> oh my god. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I've blown someone's mind today. <laughs> Voice actors are so weird like that because they're all over the place. They're all over the map. You just They appear out of nowhere. And unless they are the voice of the guy who does Zuko, mm. who's, I'm so sorry for the actor because I cannot remember his name right now. He's delightful. I even follow him on Twitter. Sorry, Rufio. Um, I recognize his voice instantly. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No matter what he is doing. Also, also J.K. Simmons, who is um, Tenzin. I do not recognize him usually. I recognize J.K. Simmons because he is a badass actor who has been in a ton of amazing stuff. And he won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor last mm-hmm. year. So Also, Renee Abernois. Very distinctive voices. I worked yes. really hard to learn how to pronounce it, and I'm still only like 80% yes. sure. But Arya's right. The dubbing between the kid lip syncing oh, yeah. and the, the voice looting is actually pretty yeah. good. Um, surprisingly good. So the tiny baby man says, Come sit on my velour couches. And it seems. You have a drink! It seems like a scene in Mad Men where <laughs> it's like, Come into my velour home and have yeah. a stogie. Come but into my parlor. Insta- come into my parlor. And the mood immediately changes. Because it's a tiny baby man. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, we're not in danger anymore. I mean, obviously, the mood had changed a little bit already because the tables have turned. I would 100% argue that they are still in danger because the little alien, like, pushes a button mm, and his yes. booze compartment comes out and he's like, have some tranya. Yeah. Um, it does It does seem like, is it poison? See, that's the thing. Yeah, and that was the last dramatic but, pause they had yeah, in the yeah. episode was like, everyone's like, uh. <laughs> And he realizes what they're saying. He's like, oh, aren't you cute? And takes a drink first so that they can show that it's not poison. Except I wanted to note here, yeah. just because he's drinking it doesn't mean it's not poisonous to you. No, also, also, the three glasses for the crewman were pre-poured and he only poured from the bowl yeah. by himself. So it could still all be poison. Yeah, guys, never be in a murder mystery because it will not end well for oh, you. McCoy has a tricorder. Wasn't he running? I was wondering that too. It. It's like, couldn't you scan or something? Is it impolite to tricorder in front of guests? <laughs> Maybe. And oh. so he describes. He's like, "Oh, you would probably have a thousand questions." Yeah. I would start with first question: Is this poison? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe ask. Waste one of those questions. You have ninety nine, nine hundred and ninety nine other questions. Yeah. To go. And he's like, oh, I was the head to Okay, the I'm sorry. Chicken. His voice is not this high pitched. What are you doing? His voice is it's very like low. regular man voice. It's quite a deep voice. It's For whatever reason, deep. in my head, that oh is my what God. it sounds it's like. It's not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you found my distress. <laughs> <laughs> it was there to test you. And, uh, I had to discover about, your real intentions. Yeah, like this whole thing was a test. Yeah, um, he describes the puppet as his alter ego, his Mister Hyde. I know. I, How does he know the reference? Is that just from the ship's tape? He went through all their words. I guess yeah. it has. But to again, be. someone else pointed out when I was reading about this episode that that doesn't make any sense. No, but or I guess in personality wise, but wouldn't it be more apt to say like the Wizard of Oz? Yeah, 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 much what, more apt. Yeah. But I guess that's harder to put up in a pithy one-liner. Sure, I was the 
the man behind the curtain. There, yeah. easy. He's literally behind a curtain. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he totally is. Snap. He's behind like eight curtains. Um, and so CBS they're like, Club. "Where, where are your crew? No crew." Ah! Oh my god. Okay, <laughs> it's like that, but like seventeen thousand pitches lower. Oh. The little giggle is there, but it's in a deep man voice. I'm his company in com- No, I'm his company in conversation. Oh my god. And essentially, he is asking for a volunteer exchange student. <laughs> he is. <laughs> Because he's like, I had such fun testing you, but I totally think that one of you should just stay, stay here. here and At which point, me. McCoy and Kirk kind of stroke their beards and go, hmm, how can we, how can we facilitate how this? How can we find someone Let- to volunteer? Bailey. Bailey volunteers, though. Like, the weird After they happen. stare at him. They stare at him, yeah. But he's already smiling and weirdly warm about this whole thing. I assume because he's drunk on Tranya, but when he sobers up, May is going to be disappointed and have a really sore back. Yeah. Uh, so, Kirk, <laughs> Kirk is essentially, like, demoting the hell out of this guy. He just pimped him, him out to this alien. Essentially, he just kind of discarded him because, oh, turns out you're terrible. Um, well, either that so or he, he like, go. made him yeah. into an ambassador, which I feel like Kirk probably does not have the authority to do. No. 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 Uh, um, so yeah. he just kind of boots him off his ship because he wasn't good at what he was does. Because there's really no loss here. If no. the little alien actually turns out to be a vampire that feasts on human flesh, eh, Bailey wasn't that great no of a monster anyway. No loss. No loss. And then everyone holds hands. Oh my <laughs> god. Yeah, he holds, like, the little baby alien grabs their hands and, like, links arms with them to tour them around the ship. And he, they, they, they go off to, like, to a tour. Of our ships. And then they go off for a tour of his crib. Yeah, uh, the crib in a metaphorical and literal and also literal sense. Yes. Thank you. Um, right. So directed by Jer- oh, sorry, Jerry Soul 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 Soul. Soul? Sure. I don't know. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, Jerry. You're the one who looked it up. Sorry, Jerry. Soul. Jerry Soul. That's an H. Okay. Anyways, Jerry Soul. Well done. Uh, this I'm gonna stand by what I said at the beginning. This would have been an excellent pilot episode. It's so clean and tightly written. And it it, it also incorporates the mission statement of yeah. the whole show. The principle twice. Yeah. yeah. I don't think as a pilot I would have enjoyed the ending. The ending is kind of a wink because Maybe. it's because it's what's well, funny. It's vague. It's, it's well no, it's funny because it's a tiny man child. Yeah. With the voice of Fire Lord. Although this is an episode where we don't go back to the bridge at the end. No, because they take a tour of a script. Yeah. Yeah, That is true. Yeah. Um, Also, final count. Nine ladies, three ladies in pants, and ten people of color. Oh. Well done. Oh. Nobody died. Nobody. Not a single person died. But I guess if you're trying to establish eventual diplomatic relations, it's not a good idea to kill a whole bunch of people. No. And then booze up the rest. No, um, again, I love this episode. That was good. Well it's well written. It's it's clean. Everything is there. Everything, almost everything that's there needs to be there. And if they, could, if they could tighten it up to like 43 minutes and get rid of some of the lingering shots, it'd be perfect. Again, I think you can put that down to 1960s yes. television making. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, Tranya, the drink that they are, that they are is served. It yeah. No. Um, it shows up again in DS9. Cork serves it. Oh, really? And um, it was actually grapefruit juice. And the little Ugh. child, uh, Clint Howard, who is playing, I guess, the real Balok, hated it. That's oh. because grapefruit juice tastes like poison. True. Grapefruit juice is good. Oh, no. No, no Kim. Yes. No. So, uh, performance of the episode, Kim. 
Um, I, ooh, I think it's gonna go to Spock for being sassy. <laughs> Thumbs up, Leonard Nimoy, although we were back to his unfortunate makeup situation that they had at the beginning of the series where he looks super old. Yeah, but of course this was... Yeah, this was, like, from the beginning. So yeah, I had yeah. this complaint, like, episodes yeah. ago. It's... They've sorted out the makeup for the newer ones, like the one we watched before. This one, he looks old. But he had a great performance, and he was very sassy. Ari, performance of the episode. I'm going to give it to Kirk. That pleases me greatly. I'm so surprised. That makes me feel... But he's so calm and professional and kept his head and strategized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I liked that. This is the Starfleet that I like. I am going to give, as always, um, performance of the episode to Shatner. But with an asterisk that I actually thought Clint Howard was very funny and cute. Yeah, yeah he was. Yeah. He was adorable. And the shit-eating grin. Yeah. You know what else worked really well is that he looks like a tiny baby man, but the way that it was executed, you, I, at least, I bought that this is an adult character who is actually older and wiser than the people in the room with him who just looks like a child. Like, I thought that was carried through. I think that he wouldn't be, like, full-grown. I think it's it just, like, an alien with a sense of whimsy. Yeah, but not um, actually a child. Yeah, not a oh, child, but yeah, a, like a young adult, I would say. Um, I think it's kind of a testament to that episode that you don't feel angry when that is revealed. No, yeah. It's, it's so... like, you spent 55 minutes... Or and then he laughs at you. It's like, you think this is ah! funny? Well, no, it's because, yeah. like, oh, tense, 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 tense. People could have been destroyed. The ship could have been blown up. Everything could have been lost. And then it turns out almost like a practical joke by a tiny child. But it works. You yeah. don't feel angry. You actually kind of feel relieved. And yeah, the way that kind of um, Kirk and Bones and even, even Bailey <laughs> play it is that it is kind of funny. And I guess it all worked out in the and end. And this is what we do. Anyway. This is what we do. Yeah, this and... is the kind of thing, you know, sometimes <clears throat> shit like this happens. And it is interesting because how, how even would aliens make contact with other aliens in a way that both Isn't... parties would have to be terrified? Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't make one or the other much more vulnerable. Yes. Like, I think when the Vulcans show up on Earth, they're clearly superior and take the hand yeah. of humanity and kind of leading them in. But when they were trying to think of how to approach humanity, how do you do that? Yeah. Well, they had guidelines for that. And it was like, not to achieve warp. And that's, yeah. that's what... That the Federation what... adopts. Yeah. Yeah. And they have very strict, very specific protocols. And it's like, we don't know that this will work every time, but based on our previous experiences... This is as good as we can do, and we have to have rules. Yeah, and I, I do like, and some of my favorite episodes of Star Trek are about, is when two cultures meet each other, how do you develop friendship, how you develop rapport when you are aliens to each other? Everything yeah. that you think, everything that you believe is could be an, uh, like an antithema to each other, so how, how do you find that common ground? Mm -hmm. But that's, again, very like one of the core values of Star Trek is that people even if they are completely different species we are more alike than we are different and Balak actually says that he says we're very much alike and he he d sort of uh rolls it off as like a joke it's like we're both very proud of our ships mm -hmm. but they're both captains because yeah. they were playing a game like, of poker together yeah but like it always focuses on the things that different species different people have in common they and both that, enjoy poker yes in this case and booze so <laughs> life lesson kim when in doubt lie <laughs> Ari, I, I do think learn how to bluff is a valuable life skill, especially when you are the captain of the starship. Hmm. 
Um, mine would be a stock tip for the future to invest in upside down block bicycles. Apparently, <laughs> can't have a starship without one. Mm. Oh, so farewell, everyone. We hope that you enjoyed the Corbo Corbinite Corbinite Corbinite. I got it wrong too. <laughs> Shit! And I <laughs> We will see you next week. Are you all out of your minds? End of watch? It's the end of everything! What are you, robots? Wound up toy soldiers? Don't you know when you're dying? Watch and regulations and orders. What do they mean when- Bailey, you're relieved. That was good. Thank you. Good job, everyone. Yay.